Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast, brought to you by The Wow Company. I'm your host, Ewan Sang, and this week we are joined by Dean Stewart. Dean is the founder of the Exceptional Leader Academy, which delivers leadership training, development and coaching to his clients. He also works as a senior consultant to One Performance North, a consultancy working with global organisations, and the Professional Speakers Academy as a senior coach and mentor. Dean has over 25 years' experience of senior management within major national and regional media companies. As operational director of Trinity Mirror, he had direct profit responsibility for the Daily Mirror with revenue responsibility of $100 million, and as commercial director for NewsQuest, led a sales team of over 100. This experience was gained through a time of acute and rapid change in one of the most competitive and challenging marketplaces, both locally and nationally. His tenure as commercial director of digital startup Yava exposed him to the challenges of working with venture capitalists and shareholders. Since becoming a leadership coach in 2012, he has trained, coached, and mentored over 500 people from C-suite executives of large corporate clients to individuals at the very start of their business journey. Dean is a three times published author. His books are about the practical application of the latest psychological theory to decision-making and leadership. He has a degree in management sciences from Manchester University, and he is also a certified personality profiling practitioner of Thomas International. In this interview, Dean spoke about how we can be better at leveraging our time as leaders through getting better at letting go of power, and also how we need to embrace our own vulnerabilities to get the best out of others. Let's jump straight in. Dean, we're going to talk a little bit about leveraging time as a leader, mm-hmm. the, the choices that you make, and we'll speak a bit about comfort zones as well. But before we kind of get into that, do you want to give us a bit of background to the Exceptional Leader Academy? Yeah. What's the story there and what sure. is it you do? Sure. So the idea of the Academy comes back to my motivation to help people in, I hate this phrase, but I haven't come up with a better one, like ordinary leadership roles. You know, it's like, that person, you know, trying to build a career for themselves, whether it's in their own business or whether it's in, the, you know, working for someone else who perhaps recognizes they need to have some sort of help and support and development, but they don't know where to go for it. And that's the idea behind the Exceptional Leader Academy. And the reason I use the word exceptional is that you only have to do a few things well as a leader to actually set yourself apart from all the other leaders who don't do those things well. So the context of the word exceptional is not the person that's going to build the unicorn billion dollar business. It's not that aspect of exceptional. It's just the idea that actually most people in leadership roles still don't lead really well. You know, this doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean that they aren't trying to do a good job. But because most people still shy away from this more introspective way of thinking about themselves, you know, understanding how they react in the moment, it means that they're not in control of their emotional reactions. And therefore, if you can become in control of your emotional reactions, you can start to develop the way in which you respond and behave under pressure. You make yourself exceptional from the majority. So that's where the word exceptional comes from. So I hope that makes sense. Makes loads of sense. And I am, you know, a big fan of it as well, in the sense that, you know, the impact that you can make. That whole concept of kind of unicorn kind of businesses is so elitist is a wrong sort of word, but it's like, you know, by definition, you know, unicorn, incredibly rare. And I think according to folklore, 
you know, unicorns can only be caught by a virgin, a virgin maiden or something like that. So it just makes it even more kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, improbable that you'll run it. But, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of small, medium-sized enterprises in the UK, yeah. hundreds of thousands of businesses with managers, with leaders within them. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and as you say, it isn't the most romantic of terms in terms of ordinary, but, you know, they're the backbone, you know, of, they of, are. of industry. Absolutely. In the UK. So I love that. And also, as I say, we mentioned it before about the slightly kind of the fluffier kind of element of it, but this kind of self-awareness, this kind of emotional awareness as well, yeah. which so often gets overlooked. We talk about, and we've got a common contact in Chris Shaw as well, and I yeah. know how much he loves models. He loves flowcharts. Yes. He loves these, <laughs> these, these, these yeah, things. Yeah. And it really does kind of shine a light, I think, on things. when, And we'll talk about leverage time in just a second, but when you lead hmm. a business, how... These kind of models and these frameworks are all well and good for, you know, that point of delivery, that point of administration. Yeah. But there is all of this work that needs to happen ahead of that on yourself, on what you do and how you process things, Yeah. which is so critical. It's so important. And I imagine, you know, if we can unlock 5%, 10% performance increase in our roles as managers and leaders, what, what impact yeah. would that have on the rest of the business, you know? Yeah. And so the other way of thinking about this is the way these skills are described as hard and soft skills. So most businesses are very, very happy to invest in training in what they call the hard skills, because you can sort of identify return on that investment. And of course, most businesses, you know, looking at the numbers, looking at the returns and all that sort of stuff, it's crucial to running a business. It's much harder to do that when you're investing in the development of what are called the soft skills. And when I said earlier that it, you know, that's a phraseology, you know, the pink and fluffy stuff, the hard and soft skills, the reason it annoys me so much is it is way, way harder to work on the soft skills than it is on the hard skills. Way harder. Because it means you've got to take a good, long, hard look at yourself in the mirror and accept responsibility for your role in whatever happens. And that's what people don't like doing. I guess there's an element of safety or ease when it comes to hard skills in the sense that, as you say, they come out with tangible outputs, don't they, in yeah. terms of like measurement. I think that's what it comes down to is measurement. And there's yeah. that old kind of adage of you can't manage what you don't measure. And yeah. I think the challenge that, that certainly I've come across and, and I guess lots of business owners and business leaders have is that when it comes to softer skills, it's not as straightforward to measure. No. It's not as easy. And because of it being harder to measure, it becomes harder to manage. That sort of softer skill kind of development, I suppose. And in your experience, team, what are ways to kind of, I guess the first thing to do is to overcome it, is to accept that it will be harder to manage and to approach it in with that kind of mentality of, you know, this isn't as straightforward as counting the number of boxes that have been ticked over here or the number yeah. of documents that have been filed over there. And to approach it with a more open kind of mind. But other than that, how can we go about, you know, I suppose, with a mindset to develop these softer skills? Well, I think one of the useful ways to think about it is the cost of recruitment and the cost of failure of recruitment. And when you think about the impact of poor recruitment decisions on a small business, they're much, much greater on a percentage basis than they are for a larger organization. You, you can make a poor decision if you're a large organization and you've got the padding there to be able to cope with it. But when you're a small organization, you don't. And the impact of making a poor decision at the recruitment level is huge. It's disruption of time. It costs money. It's expensive to recruit good people now. And if that person doesn't work out, then 
you've got the cost of maybe having to get rid of them and that can be substantial. And then you've got the cost of having to re- recruit again. So I think for me, this is the useful way to start thinking about the benefit of developing these skills. Because if you are helping the people in your organization to understand the dynamics of working well together, the so-called soft skills, and using things like personality testing or, or profiling, should I say, rather than testing personality profiling, things like DISC, or yeah, there's lots and lots of different profiling methodologies out there so that people can sort of understand how different personality types work together, what causes them to get into conflict. And if they do get into conflict, you give them the skills to be able to resolve those conflicts without and actually come out of it with stronger relationships. You know, as long as your mindset is one, well, that's the pink and fluffy stuff. We've just got to get on with the job, just get on and do the job. You know, don't bring me your problems. Just get on and do that. That's what I pay you for. I pay you to do the job. Just do it, you know? And there's so much of that mentality still out there because people are scared because they don't have the skills. They haven't developed the skills of understanding interpersonal relationships because ultimately that's what leadership, there's two aspects of leadership. You know, you can say there's the hard aspect of leadership, which is your corporate strategy, your sales strategy, your financial strategy, and all that sort of stuff. And then there's the soft side of leadership, which is your relationships of how all those people in those different teams work together or don't work together, you know, and what are you going to do about it? If they're not working together in the best possible way, how can you facilitate that so that you reduce these potential costs related to recruitment and, you know, I mean, disciplinaries nowadays. I got involved in so many grievances and complaints. You know, it's time consuming, it's energy consuming, it's resource consuming, and it undermines the productivity of your business. You know, so these are not your soft skills. Please, if I can get one message across, please stop thinking about these as a soft skills. They have real impact on any business of any size. I guess this comes back to the fact that when we talk about soft skills or interpersonal skills and emotional awareness, these can be quite uncomfortable places to be in terms of discussions, in terms of kind of self-analysis. There's an element of vulnerability that you have to kind of accept when you like start this conversation, introspectively looking at yourself and certainly kind of like having these conversations with members of your team, with your board, with your management team and things like that, they too need to accept a degree of vulnerability that there are certain things which kind of, you know, they strike quite deeply inside you as a person, how well people get on with you, I suppose, on that kind of surface level. But how do you navigate those discomfort zones? And what are the changes? I suppose a flip over of this is, you know, the kind of blinkered leader will be, woof. That's way outside my comfort zone to talk about how people get on and, you know, chemistry between individuals and things like this. So I'm going to shy away from it. How do you overcome these anxieties, either in terms of your own soft skills or certainly in terms of approaching that kind of dialogue with your team? Yeah. So really good question and a a difficult one to answer, actually, because it sort of is a bit of a circular thing. It goes back to that position at the beginning of being willing to look inward. So that's the start point. But I'm going to say something that's probably a bit odd. You might find a bit odd. I'm going to say things like stop watching things like Dragon's Den. You know, don't watch The Apprentice. Stop watching these dramatized reality shows, which, you know, show business leaders in this completely aggressive and unrealistic light. 
And, you know, people like Alan Sugar didn't build his business to the level it is without being able to develop strong relationships with people who wanted to work with him. And the way in which The Apprentice is sort of shown and publicized and dramatized for TV is, you know, he's portrayed as this aggressive, you know, you're fired and all that sort of stuff. It's TV. It's not real. And yet so much of business leadership, you know, you see it in movies, you see it on TV series, is portrayed in this unrealistic way. If you're going to be a leader and you're going to be effective, you have to be able to build sustainable relationships. I was listening to a podcast yesterday and a guy was talking about Trump and he was saying that one of the reasons that Trump has to move around from state to state like, and start and find new places to do business is that he's such a, an aggressive character when it comes to his negotiation style. You know, he screws the other person. They don't want to do business with him again. You know, so he built one big building in New York. No one else wants to work with him. He's only got one building in New York, you know. He's built a golf course in Scotland. No one wants to work with him again. You know, it's like this was what this guy on the podcast was saying. So there's consequences to acting in that stereotypical way that you see portrayed on TV. If you want to be a great leader, you've got to have the skills to develop great relationships. That applies like outside, as you say, with business clients and with partners, suppliers and such like. And also, obviously, it's so critical internally as well. Yeah. The people we talked previously about unlocking this kind of discretionary productivity and people aren't going to do that. The people aren't going to, as you say, dig deep if you don't yeah. have the connection. And this yeah. kind of brings us back around to leveraging time or kind of segues yeah. into it somewhat. Sure. And so I came across this concept. It was actually I was doing a bit of work for a client who was one of the big four accountancy firms. And every day he would say to me, Ewan, are you leveraging? Are you leveraging? And I was <laughs> what do you mean when you say that to me, Mark? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and he explained, and he said, you know, if you're doing work, like one day of work, you get paid for that one day, that's not leveraging. You're getting one-to-one. -one. What can you do to leverage your time so that you put a day's worth of work in, but you get more than a day's worth of value out of it? And that yeah. was when the penny dropped with me. So it's one of the best lessons that I've learned. But in, I suppose in your world, that concept yeah, of yeah. Le leveraging time, what have you seen in terms of traps that leaders kind of fall into and they're not being able to leverage yeah, their yeah. time. Because, again, you know, you imagine these leaders within these organizations, they're probably going to be some of the better paid in terms of salary and remuneration. So you'd want to amplify the value that they create. So enabling them to leverage their time is really important. Yeah. But it's not always easy and straightforward. So what are some of the traps that you've seen? It comes back to what we were saying earlier, and it's one big trap, really. And it's the trap of not being able to delegate, you know, to feel that you, only you are good enough and trustworthy enough to be able to handle that particular client or that particular challenge or deal with that problem. When you have that mindset that it's just easier and quicker for you to do it yourself, you're done for because that is the killer of leverage because the only way you can leverage time is to have people that are doing things for you, which frees you up to then do more important things. So one of the ways in which I talk to my clients about this is I talk to them about the idea of five-pound jobs, 10-pound jobs, and 100-pound jobs. And it's really, really easy to do a five-pound job. So what happens is, and what I mean by a five, you know, imagine that as the hourly rate, right? Or you could magnify it and say, 
you know, there's 10 pound jobs, 100 pound jobs and 1000 pound jobs, right? So maybe create that as the differential. Mm. As a CEO, as a business owner or a you know, managing director or whatever you are, you should only be working on the 1000 pound jobs. And you should have a team that can handle the 10 pound and the 100 pound jobs. And your job is to make sure that your team is trained on how to handle those 10 pound and 100 pound jobs effectively so you don't get sucked down into having to do it. Because when you're sucked down into dealing with 10 pound and 100 pound jobs, you're not dealing with the 1000 pound jobs and it's the 1000 pound jobs that drive the business forward. So that's how I tend to try and illustrate the idea of time leverage and get people to start thinking about, okay, what are the thousand pound jobs that only I can do in my business? What are the 10 pound and 100 pound jobs that I can find other people to do? And of course, the challenge for that is your business has to be at a point where you can afford to pay people to do that. And so that does become the trap. It's like, how do you break out of that financial trap of having the money to start that process? Mm-hmm. Nowadays, that's a lot easier than it was because we've got resources like Fiverr or Upsource or whatever they call Upwork. You know, we can outsource a lot of these things nowadays. I've got clients and people I know, they're small businesses in the local town, but they're outsourcing some of their services out to the Far East. They're leveraging their time that way. Okay. So it's about becoming creative and thinking about, you know, what are the resources out there now that help me to leverage? And of course, the big one that is on everyone's lips at the moment, of course, is artificial intelligence, AI and chat GPT. And of course, there's a lot of ways in which that can be used to help leverage time. And as a business grows, Dean, as it expands and as a team kind of grows as well, I guess there's always that risk of falling into that comfort zone of, as you say, kind of like taking stuff on, you know, especially if you are in a business where you promoted into a role. So again, a lot of our listeners are within organizations, you know, up to kind of 50 in size. So they've got a lot of managers, a lot of leaders that have kind of progressed within those organizations. So they're probably in a position where they literally could do a very good job of the tens and the hundred pound jobs, given that they have kind of progressed through. Have you found that with the people that you work with, that there is this kind of tendency to kind of slip into the doing of that. And what can leaders do to try and make sure that kind of doesn't happen? Because I think what's coming through is, as you say, you escape that kind of like gravitational velocity that you need so that you can kind of break out of orbit and you don't have that financial restraint of having to do the work yourself. You can start building the team. You have built your team. Then it becomes that challenge, I suppose, of self-discipline and not falling into that comfort zone of, oh, I can do that. I can do that set of accounts really quickly. Or I can do that after of animation in half a day or whatever. What can you do? Because as I say, we've spoken to a number of clients who are, you know, they're in that, they feel like they're in this kind of loop and it's harder to kind of let go than it is. What what are the good habits you can get into? Well, you used a really important word earlier, vulnerability. So one of the things that I always say to people in a leadership role is if you're going to be a true leader, it's going to take courage and it's going to make you feel vulnerable. And there's no escaping that. And again, it comes back to self-awareness. So when you're in a situation where you're feeling vulnerable, that's going to trigger your emotions. And in that moment of feeling vulnerable and becoming, you know, if you can develop your awareness of your emotional state so that in that moment of feeling vulnerable, you can develop that Viktor Frankl skill of 
building that little bit of space between the stimulus of that's making you feel vulnerable and the way in which you react or respond yeah so which gives you the freedom to choose how you're going to behave in that moment and it sounds all like great and easy it's not right because the whole point about us feeling vulnerable vulnerability is an emotional state it's a state of that the mind and body creates because we're feeling in a place which of uncertainty we're not sure how things are going to play out and therefore that makes us feel unsafe and therefore we're internally driven to try and resolve that and get to a place of safety in the fastest way so the more able you are to recognize that happening within yourself and to have developed your ability to sidestep it so that you don't get sucked into the old habits. Now, if you're going to avoid getting sucked into old habits, it means you have to have thought about what are the new habits I want to develop in these scenarios. So when these things happen, what is it I want to do? How do I want to behave in that moment? What do I want to have in place? What systems do I need in my business? Who can I call on in those moments? You've got to pre-plan. You've got to you know, think about it. This is why I say these are skills and abilities to be developed. You know, doing it in the moment is virtually impossible. You've got to pre-plan it. You've got to think about it from your own perspective. And you've got to be aware in the moment of when it's happening. And there'll be times when you don't do it. You know, it's like we're human beings, right? We get some stuff we do really well and there's other stuff we're not so good at. And it's like, be kind to yourself. It's like, okay, God, that was an opportunity. I could have done that. Okay, I'll learn for next time. Don't be too hard on yourself. But be aware of that. If you're going to be a leader, it's going to take your courage. You're going to feel vulnerable. But if you're aware of it, you can plan to have a different outcome. You can become intentional about what you want to create and what you want to achieve and not do it unintentionally. A big thank you to Dean Stewart from the Exceptional Leader Academy for sharing his knowledge. And a big thank you to you, our listeners for listening to this week's Beautiful Business podcast. Beautiful Business is powered by The Wow Company, who believe that business can be beautiful, that doing the right thing gets results. Wow believes that having a clear purpose and standing up for what you believe in is the secret to building a beautiful, sustainable business, something to be really proud of. If you're dedicated to building a beautiful business, check out wowco.uk forward slash beautiful business.